This episode of the Top Soul Podcast is brought to you by Continuum Mag and Stout Seeds. Continuum Mag is a soil health intelligence company helping farmers globally monetize and improve their soil health. Stout Seed is an Iowa-based seed distributor that handles cover crops and forage seeds and distributes throughout the Midwest. This is Brian Hoare here with on this week's Top Soil Podcast, sitting in as the guest host today. So I was just asked to talk a little bit about uh, who I am and uh, what my role is with Topsoil and such. So um, for those of you who don't know, I'm Mitchell's father and I live in, uh, in Southeast Iowa. Been farming here since 1985 and kind of use the, the farm here uh, as a, a bit of a test ground for a lot of the things that we're doing with Topsoil and regenerative ag. So a little bit of history, we've been on this road with uh, conservation tillage, no-till, minimum till, um, over a long series, long period of time, really since I started farming in 1985. And about 10 years or so ago, um, after I'd done a a major tiling and terracing project, the following year is the first year that I really experienced anything with cover crops. So um, the area that we're here in Washington County, Iowa, there's a big push at that time to utilize some cost share programs, get cover crops growing and uh, on, on a large number of acres in the area. And I participated in that program from the get-go. And um, since that start with about 20 acres of cover crops in 2013, we've now increased to the entire farm being cover cropped with the exception of just a couple of strips where we have check strips um, in a research trial. Otherwise, everything's been cover crop for at least four years now. And um, <clears throat> primarily using rye, um, we've done some utilization of wheat as well when rye was in short supply a few years ago. And now we are uh, expanding into using more diverse covers on, um, especially going ahead of corn, um, but pretty much on rye in front of soybeans yet. Um, as I mentioned back in 2012, as we, I was doing a tiling project and get some pattern tiling in and putting some terraces on some rougher ground where we had some waterways that weren't real effective um, and needed the tile anyhow. So spent the money, uh, did the cost share program, getting um, terraces on, oh, I would say it was roughly probably 48, 35, 40 acres that we terraced fairly intensely. And... Um, Big project. After that, definitely needed the, uh, after moving all that dirt around, needed the uh, uh, cover crop on there. And probably about one year after that um, was about the the last year that I would have done any tillage where we had a, a disc ripper and trying to level off some tie lines and such a little bit, but really have not used a disc ripper since. But to move back a little bit, I guess over the years we've I've worked with conservation efforts and trying to get no-till corn following soybeans. Um, our soybeans following corn would always be no-tilled. We sort of drawn back in the mid '80s with that. Um, but when we were doing corn on corn, I was still in the mode of doing the tillage ahead of the corn on corn crop. Um, and I've also had the the privilege of of helping um, of friend of mine who's a few miles down the road and um, I've been working with him on his crop ground for a number of years too Um, and so been really farming with him for about 20 years and he's had some fields that have been continuously no-till for 20 plus years with zero tillage done to them so 
But what's been interesting is I've moved into this and with the cover crops, um, we needed it on the fields where we had terraced because we were getting this erosion. We didn't have much cover left after the bulldozers had moved all the dirt around. And um, for those not familiar with the terraces in our area, um, a few different varieties, but most all of them are, are tile inlet terraces. So we'll have a standpipe on the upper side of the um, terrace and typically they are grassed on the top side and then the backsides have a gent more gentle slope to them and we'll farm the backsides of them. But that was done in 2000, uh, fall of 2012. Um, following year 2013 was really when the cover crops got set in then. But a lot of efforts for a lot of years utilizing, um, on, on our farm, utilizing no-till, um, have even had a little experience with some strip till. Um, wasn't really a good experience. Um, after years of uh, utilizing the rotation that we had with a little bit of tillage mixed in with the no-till, um, our first experience with um, strip till was kind of a disaster. Um, some of the hills that we have, you know, gentle slopes, not a lot, but um, they seem to be... Uh, Loosening that area up where the strip till machine went, putting on the nitrogen maybe in that strip as well. And then we got some heavy rains and all we did was create gullies. Um, nice, even gullies, 30 inches apart, all the way up and down all the hills and six inches, about six inches wide and six inches deep and took all the dirt to the bottom of the hill. So realize that that wasn't a very good solution. Um, but now we've kind of gotten away from that end of it. And as we have seen with the cover crops, um, I've seen this massive change. And it took several years to really see it. But it is very, very obvious that soil biology, earthworm activity, um, soil structure, it takes cover crops to do it. Um, I didn't know that that was the, the case until I actually saw it for myself. And when I say cover crops, I mean consistent cover crops. It doesn't have to be heavy, heavy rates of, of rye, um, but consistency and keeping it growing as long as we can has really proven to be um, a way to make it work. Uh, I've taken some of the, 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 the farm that I mentioned, I was doing some custom work and it hasn't had near the amount of cover crop on it in the last several years that ours has had. So it's been actually a very good uh, comparison for us to see the, the drastic change in our fields versus this other farm that's just a mile or so down the road. Um, essentially the same soil types we're dealing with. Little differences here and there, but the big difference that I saw in running on my fields versus uh, that had been cover crop for, oh, four or five years consistently, and then going down the road to a field that had been no-tilled consistently for a long period of time was, um, as I was spraying second-pass herbicides uh, in, oh, early June, late May, early June, um, I realized that on my fields, the residue is disappearing. And it's like, where did all of the soybean stubble go in those fields? Where did all the cover crop go? in those fields that we had that was 12 inches tall, maybe 16 inches tall when it was terminated. Because when I go down the road into my uh, the field that I'm doing custom work on, all the soybean residue is still there. Um, it's not piled up and there's heavy, heavy cover out there with soybean residue. So I've actually done some measuring this past summer. We did some of that and 
what was very interesting is where we had uh, heavy cover crops, um, and I've got these strips on my own farm where we have never raised cover crop. It's just straight no-till um, consistently for six years with the alternating strips through there in this replicated trial of cover crop for six years running now. Um, we did the measurements last spring, simple uh, residue cover, and in where we had ryegrass growing, in May we had a roughly 72% ground cover, um, and that's including where we had a little bit of a minimal amount of strip tillage done and uh, with an anhydrous toolbar is really all it was, a toolbar with a mole knife on it. Um, that was the extent of the strip. Um, but I still had 72% ground cover across there. Where we had straight no-till, um, again, with the anhydrous toolbar crossed it, um, we only had like 63% cover crop or cover on the surface. Um, that being all, uh, for the most part, being soybean residue, maybe a little bit of corn stalks from the, the year prior. Was interesting by mid July, we, we measured mid fifteenth uh, of May, fifteenth of June, and fifteenth of July. By July, where we had the cover crop, where we started out in the low seventies, we were down to the mid to upper twenties, twenty five to twenty seven percent residue left on the surface in July. Where we had the uh, straight no till in the bean stubble, we only dropped to forty five percent. So we'd gone from 63 to 45 there, but where we had the, the, the more biological activity with the cover crop growing, uh, we went from 72 down to about 27%. So huge activity in those fields, really, really learning experience from it, something that I never saw and still don't see in fields that are just straight no-till. Um, the cover crop is what's bringing all the biology to us. And... Um, a lot of other information that uh, through topsoil that with all the testing and trials that Mitchell has been doing, um, we were, we're watching very closely what's going on with the nutrient conversions there as well. And obviously with all that biological activity, we're getting tremendous amount of nutrient conversion, nutrient stabilization as well, um, and soil structure. And uh, that brings me back to uh, the conservation or the, uh, the conservation spending in the um, terraces and such. And as I mentioned, yeah, there, 10 years ago, we put these terraces in, and at this point, I kind of wish I didn't have them um, because they're not doing any good anymore. When we've had heavy, heavy rains, um, water's all infiltrating, getting down to the tile lines, and nothing's running off the fields, nothing's getting caught in the terraces anymore. So um, the cover crop has been a much more economical, uh, much more valuable conservation effort and to date it's by far the most effective conservation efforts that I have ever been involved with in my entire farming career um, and we're still learning from them and still trying to push the envelope with it a little bit um, as far as the amount of growth that we're getting and of the cover crop prior to terminating and and also in the diversity that we're starting to push uh, primarily in front of the corn crop as well. Um, and we're doing that really uh, for a couple of different purposes. One, diversity. That's the first thing that we're after. More, more species, get more biological activity, trying to get more nutrient conversion um, and trying to keep our process, our farming, uh, moving towards a more regenerative type of uh, program.
Um, if we stop where we're at, we're eventually going to sit here and not go any further. So we're pushing to see how much further we can go. And um, to date, we haven't done it with any livestock yet. And maybe I'll mention, get into that a little bit further here in a second. But right now, the, uh, the, the, the diverse covers we've got some um, in front of corn, since we're raising primarily most of our rye that we're um, reseeding in a relay crop, uh, last year we had some relay crop that had a fair amount of rape that was still growing and some um, hairy vetch. And so a lot of our seed that we put down last year uh, as cover crop already had some vetch and rape in it. And then um, we also added a uh, yellow blossom sweet clover to everything that was going into corn. And um, knowing that those species will do a decent job of overwintering in our environment here. Um, so, and even here this spring now, as we go in to terminate, um, haven't terminated any cover crop yet. We're still a couple of weeks away from that. Um, probably like to be in shortly after planting corn, we will get the cover crop terminated, uh, really targeting the rye. So we'll be using the glyphosate to target the rye, take the rye out to get the competition from the corn down. Um, if I don't if I don't kill the, the vetch, the rape, um, or the, the clover that I have, I'm perfectly fine with that. None of them are at a heavy enough um, rate to really compete much with the corn and uh, let that diverse crop grow a little bit longer, maybe produce a little bit more nitrogen um, and help keep the microbes a little happier and getting a little more residue out there that'll last longer into the season is kind of a goal that we have. Um, the... Uh, in, in front of the in the uh, soybeans, we do have pretty much just all straight rye. Um, again, we do have some relay rye that we're raising, um, raising the rye primarily for our own reseeding and, and cover crop purposes in the fall. Um, not a lot of acres intended um, at this point, uh, but um, enough to produce the seed that we need. And we found that to be very, very valuable um, in, in, the, in the form of not just having the seed, uh, producing it ourselves, keep it right here on the farm, but also the amount of uh, material that we're putting back in the field, the organic material, the um, nitrogen that is being produced then for the following year's corn crop is tremendous. And we've seen some really, really good results with that the last several years. So, um, and then the big benefit of having that rye growing longer and this year, I don't really have any of it that really is much of a field border, a little bit in a couple spots, but for the most part, we have that relay crop in the middle of the field. And our intention is that once we terminate around the outside and terminate the other rye crop, leave the, the relay crop rye grow, um, the rest of it being terminated with Roundup, probably the later, um, last maybe last week of May. So about the time we start seeing seed heads on the rye is when we want to start um, thinking about terminating rye, just to keep it from all going to seed and having all that rye in our soybeans as we harvest. But um, beyond that, the beans that we're raising, they're all enlist beans at this point yet. Um, from there on out, if we have to use herbicides to clean uh, some places up, it'll be Liberty and Enlist. Um, hopefully, where most of our relay rye is, um, I don't really intend to use any herbicides this year. And um, tremendous cost savings, um, especially with the way prices are this year of, 
of, of not just the Roundup, but also the, the Liberty and, um, and the list and all the herbicides being higher priced this year. But what we have found is that, that the rye is presenting, is providing enough competition. And um, early here in the year, weeds aren't getting through it. And if we have weed pressure, it's, it's pretty much along the edges. Uh, so out in the middle of the field, we don't really have that weed pressure to worry about. And we don't seem to be getting as much late germination on cover or on the um, water hemp that is in this area. Um, and I do, I believe that that's primarily to, uh, due to the fact that we're keeping the ground cool. Um, when we don't get ground temperatures up to 80 degrees uh, on the surface or even you know, any depth, um, I don't think we're getting the germination on the water hemp. And um, keeping the ground covered, shaded, keeps the ground cool, keeps the, 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 the rye and the soybeans grow right on through it, but the water hemp never germinates. Therefore, we don't really even have to worry about spraying water hemp. Um, haven't done really too much, though, with, with, cut, with crimping. Um, we've tried a little bit, and um, I know there are, other, are the others around that do that, lay that mat of rye down, and that also does a good job of keeping the sun off the soil, keeping the ground cooler. Um, the rye that we terminate with herbicide, you know, it'll lay over about, oh, probably 12 to 20 inches high above the ground when it lays over. And then the beans just grow on through that. So that pr provides a really nice insulation layer in between, keeping the heat off of the ground and keeping the ground cool and moist, letting the crops grow. Um, so that's kind of some of the things, again, as I mentioned, the, the conservation efforts. I think this is a, by far the most economical and most beneficial way of, of providing um, cover for the ground, stopping erosion, um, reducing the inputs that we have to apply to get the type of crops that we want and be very, very competitive on the yields that we're getting. So in the future, I think, um, just to kind of hit a little bit on that and wrap it up here, uh, trying, to, trying to stay with on the farm with more of a conventional type system. As I mentioned, we're, we haven't gone down the road of livestock yet, and I don't use any manure um, we don't really have any fences on any properties anymore that would hold livestock, first of all. So if we did bring livestock back, we'd have to be fencing everything. And then um, between Mitchell and I, one of us would have to stay home and do the chores from time to time. And that seems to be a hard thing to do certain times of the year for either of us to be around here. So haven't really gone that route yet. Um, I know that I know listening to everybody that does utilize livestock, that it, it does it is beneficial in the soil health um, in regenerative systems that people are using. It's, it's really enhances what you're doing, but we just haven't gone that route yet. Um, because I know there's a lot of farmers out there that won't ever go that route. And I've actually had conversation yes, just yesterday about utilizing, still using anhydrous ammonia. And I'm, I've been a little bit stubborn with that. Um, probably not the best thing for our situation as far as um, soil health and soil biology, but when we do put anhydrous on, I fall apply it um, mid-November when the ground is cool. Um, we have great ground cover. We're not going to get the soil warm back up. I'm not worried about the conversion process in the fall. And as we keep the ground insulated in the spring, we don't have these huge temperature fluctuations either. So when we warm up, you know, and get the soil temperatures up, um, start to 
have that nitrogen uh, more readily available. Um, it's a little bit later in the season and I'm not too worried about losing any of it. Um, using that anhydrous knife track though is a, a minimal, m minimal evasiveness, um, trying to minimize the amount of disturbance that we have in the soil with that knife track and then we'll plant right back up on, on top of that knife track with the corn. And we're trying to reduce the amount of nitrogen, obviously, um, through our system. And um, so this year, most of the nitrogen went on either 120 or 140 pounds per acre. Um, we do have some in some trial areas. It's down at 105 pounds. And um, yield goal is about 250 bushel. So um, we're doing what we can to reduce that nitrogen uh, application. Um, we do have a little of the fertilizer going on with the planter as a starter, um, a little bit of nitrogen in with the herbicide program, um, and a little bit of nitrogen in a dry fer fertilizer program, and, um, some ammonium sulfate and MAP that was applied, um, light rates applied uh, earlier this spring on the uh, on the, the cover crop ground and the, everything that's going into corn. But trying to stick with this thing and, and show that, you know, this, this can work for about anybody without major changes to your operation. Um, our our no-till drill that we utilize in the planter um, just has trash whippers and standard double disc openers on it. Um, standard closing wheels that are on a Case IH planter. Um, we do have the Delta uh, downforce system, the precision meters and such on it. So it's nice to have that um, through the terrain that we're dealing with, with all the cover crop, because the cover crop's not always uh, uniform. You get these tufts of ryegrass that when it really tillers out, it you can get a little bit rough out there in places, but take our time and get the, the seed in the ground right and um, try to keep our soil structure the best that we can and keep improving it from, from year to year. But that's really about it for now. I think I'll kind of wrap it up with that and as, um, we continue on with our efforts and trying to learn more and more about soil and what's going on in those fields and um, having enough years of data now that we can really start doing some good analysis of the process of, of what's going on with the soil and the biology and how that's driving our uh, utilization, better utilization of fertilizer and um, minimizing the amount of pesticides and such that we have to apply while at, at the same time maintaining and improving our yields in the field and um, uh, eventually the quality of the crop that we are producing. So um, just wanted to say thanks for letting me participate here. And if you have uh, information or more, would like more information or um, want to follow up, um, you can always be reached there at Continuum Ag. And, um, get more information through our topsoil and we'd be glad to share it with you. So thanks for now. Thanks for listening in to today's episode of the Topsoil Podcast. If you want to learn more about Continuum Ag, you can find us at continuum.ag. And if you like this episode, please give us a review or share us with your friends. And if you would like more information on Stout Seed, find us at stoutseed.com or look me up on social media at Seed Junkie. We'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks for listening.